You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mikich. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. I hope you're all doing well. And in this week's episode of the pod, we're going to be doing something slightly differently, okay? I just had the pleasure of appearing on Dennis Porter's podcast earlier this week to engage in a little bit of a roundtable discussion with Dr. Jeff Ross um, to talk about all things macro and Bitcoin. So I thought, hey, I might play that interview for you guys over here on the channel. Um, and obviously, it's a pretty wide range of discussion. So I thought it might be useful to play uh, over here on the podcast network. Um, in the roundtable discussion, Jeff and I both talk and give our thoughts on the potential of what's looking like a global recession unfolding around the world. We also talked about the potential of Bitcoin entering a longer term bear market. You guys will know I'm a perma bull, so strap yourselves in for that little discussion. And then we also talk about uh, how we believe hyper-Bitcoinization will unfold in the coming decade as we're literally watching fiat currencies all around the world hyperinflate. So um, I also uh, apologize uh, if there is any background noise, um, if you can hear car horns and sirens. I am sorry, I'm staying smack bang in the middle um, of a city that houses 15 million people in Peru and anyone who hasn't been to Latin America, well, let me tell you, uh, there's no there's no rules on the roads of Peru. So um, all you hear is car horns and sirens all day long. They have no buses. They have no trains. 15 million people in taxis just flying around the cities with no rules. So I'm sorry the background noise is a little bit much. Um, but I hope you, enjoy, you guys enjoy the discussion. If it's something you want to hear more of, let me know. And I can play more interviews here on the channel. Um, if you like to hear me ranting and raving about macro and Bitcoin, um, I do that all the time. Um, of course, before we jump into it, let's not forget to hear from today's show sponsor, who is Shift Crypto. If you guys need a hardware wallet and you still have coins on exchanges, you need to go and get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Everybody saw the news just this week. Coinbase came out and said, hey, look, if we're insolvent, we can confiscate everybody's funds. No, that is not a joke. Check me out on Twitter. I did a post about it, um, kind of explaining what Coinbase said. Okay, that's massive news. They're the largest exchange in the world and they're openly telling you, if we go bankrupt, we will steal your Bitcoin. Your Bitcoin on Coinbase is not your Bitcoin. And guess what? The second largest exchange in America also said the same thing this week. Celsius. Celsius came out and said, hey, look, if we go through an insolvency event, we have the right to steal your crypto, steal your Bitcoin, not crypto, Bitcoin only over here on the podcast. Okay, so what's the takeaway, guys? Not your keys, not your coins. Go and get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet and take self-custody of your Bitcoin. It's the most important move anyone can take with their life savings, okay? Um, If you guys want 5% off a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet, you can use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple. No spaces. Go and get one, okay? Honestly, the imperative of holding your own keys could not be higher today in the 2020s. Um, But anyway, with the housekeeping out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this discussion um, and what was a roundtable discussion with Dr. Jeff Ross and Dennis Porter and myself. Um, Anyway, have a good day, guys, and I hope you enjoy this one. I'll move right into it, though. We've got Dr. Jeff Ross and Luke Mickick on the show to talk about the macro conversation 
I spent about an hour to a week ago in a room with these two chatting about where we were in the economy, just broadly, uh, what to expect moving forward. We have had Dr. Jeff Ross on the show before. He's an incredible analyst. And Luke Mickick, great guy, spent a lot of time with him. Young, extremely talented and bright, really looking forward to his future in the space as someone who is delivering top tier information. But we're bringing him on the show today to just kind of have a conversation back and forth about where we should be placing our bets. Where should we be taking risk off the table? Should we put it, be putting it back on the table? When should we be expecting the Fed to tighten or loosen? Uh, all those questions and more coming up with our two very special guests. Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff and Luke Mickick, welcome to the show. Happy to have you guys here. I'm here on the ground in San Francisco, doing it remote. Uh, looking forward to having this conversation with the two of you. Hey, thanks for having us, Dennis and Will. Good to see you guys. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. Really looking forward to this one. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really pumped to have you two both on the show. Last time we all were in a room together, it was on Twitter Spaces, and it was you know, probably a week or two before this Luna debacle took place, and we really started to see the prices take a downward spin. Dr. Jeff Ross, uh, you have been consistently uh, in the camp that's saying that we would have these moves downward, and we've continued to make those moves downward. And Luke, as well, has kind of always had his finger on the pulse when it comes to the direction of this economy and where he thinks things are headed. Really interested to get your guys' quick takes on just the way the last two weeks have played out uh, and whether you felt like you've been on the money thus far. Dr. Jeff, go to you first. Sure. I mean, it's no surprise to people who have put up with my annoying commentary for the last, what, four or five months. I've been bearish since uh, early December, and I got really bearish in um, kind of March, April timeframe and into May. And I, I was saying back in, uh, you know, February, March, when it didn't seem too bad, I said, you guys, you know what, we haven't even hit the rough patch yet. Kept saying that. I tweeted that several times. And then what I've been saying recently over the last couple of weeks is this is the rough patch. This is what I'm talking about. This is when stuff falls apart. So, you know, we've kind of had hope that, well, maybe risk on assets will do OK. You know, maybe crypto will rebound. Maybe Luna will make it, you know, those kind of things. And like, you know what, when the floor drops out, this is what happens. You get these death spirals. I, I just want to say from the from the outset, I feel terrible for the people who trusted in Luna and Doquan and, and they've gotten wiped out. Like I've been trying to warn people. There were people who figured it out before me. So shout out to like Corey Clipston at Swan and some guys before him. They've been warning people that this thing, if if things go wrong, it's going to fall apart and the floor will drop out and you guys have to be careful and you have to consider the downside risks. And so unfortunately it exactly what we like kind of worst case scenario is what happened, right? So those kind of things, you can peg it, those algorithmic pegs, they work as long as everything is either stable or everything's moving up, which in general is what happens. But when you get these terrible macroeconomic environments and everybody is fearful and people start to bail out, this is what happens. You get these death spirals. And, and so people who held Luna, they got crushed. People who um, uh, hold you or held UST, they got crushed. And there are a lot of other crypto things, products, that DeFi things that are associated with those too. They're sort of all intertwined. And so they're getting crushed too. So my heart goes out to those people. I will tell you from experience that all roads lead to Bitcoin, right? I, I didn't come up with that statement, but it's true. Like it, it takes getting wrecked often for some people to realize like, oh shoot, this, is, this was a mistake. 
what is Bitcoin? Why isn't Bit why does Bitcoin keep coming back? Why does it keep getting bigger, better, stronger over the years? And these cryptos rise up, they light up like a match, they flare up and go a thousand X and then they crash and burn and go to zero. And we're going to see that over and over and over again in the crypto space. So sorry to, sorry to um, digress into crypto, but it all ties in with my macro stuff, right? And, and uh, not my macro stuff, with the, the, the general macro situation. When things get ugly, they can get really ugly in a hurry. Risk happens slowly, then all at once. And we just saw that happen. And I'll, I'll, I'll uh, just I'll give you a little teaser. So and I'll stop talking so Luke can get in here. But I think that we're we're coming into what I call a double dip recession for 2022. I think it's possible we're, we are at or near the bottom right now. I think we may have already bottomed in Bitcoin, possibly. I think we get some relief going into the summer. And then I think we go back into a recession and it gets even uglier uh, to end the year. But I'll stop there because I want to hear what Luke has to say. Uh, don't stop, Jeff. Uh, don't, don't, don't stop, Jeff. I thought that was great. Um, I would love to echo what you said about Luna. Um, I personally think all of the twelve thousand cryptocurrencies are probably going to go to zero this decade, despite what people will say about them. I mean, Luna was this quote-unquote blue chip cryptocurrency. It was in the top ten um, on Coin Market Cap only last week. It had a market cap of over thirty-five billion dollars. A week later, it has been exploited. It's obviously collapsed and it's gone the way that I think all of these centralized 12,000 cryptocurrencies are going to go. I really do think in a decade, you're probably going to be looking at Bitcoin and maybe I think the only other thing that is going to be alive is the US dollar. And I suppose that kind of ties into my macro view on how I see things evolving over the next few years. I think we're in the early stages of a currency crisis or a currency collapse. I am a massive dollar milkshake uh, maximalist. Um, for those of you who don't know, that's Brent Johnson's thesis on the dollar milkshake thesis. Um, he essentially sees that um, you're going to be left with the US dollar. That's going to be the last fiat currency to collapse. And I think as you're watching the US dollar get stronger and stronger over the past few months, you're watching these really large emerging market currencies blow up. Um, like, for example, the Hong Kong peg looks like it's about to go. Um, the Hong Kong dollar has been pegged uh, to the dollar for the past 35 years and it's showing signs of stress. You're watching the Japanese yen blow up. You're watching the euro blow up right now. Like these are major currencies and they're, they're really, really struggling. And I think um, that's kind of how I see macro at the moment. I think you're going to see all of these 120, 130 fiat currencies collapse in the next four, five, six years. So I think you're going to see lots and lots of volatility. You're going to see lots of power pivots. You're going to see lots of volatility in things like the CPI index, the equity markets and the bond markets. Um, I just think the closer you get towards a fiat currency collapse, the more volatile things get. So strap yourselves in and get your Bitcoin off exchanges into cold storage. For those of the people that are listening in right now that might not know, Really quickly, could you explain, Luke, what the dollar milkshake theory is so people have a strong grasp of what your prediction is moving forward for the fiat world? Yeah, so essentially there is this external demand for U.S. debt, okay? So we have this thing called the Eurodollar market that emerged in the 1950s and the 1960s, and all a Eurodollar is is it's U.S. dollars that's actually created offshore outside of the United States. So they're created by hedge fund banks in the Cayman Islands or in the European banks. And essentially, this this creates an external source of demand for US dollars. And it's actually, it's hard to know the actual size of the Eurodollar market. 
It's speculated to be worth tens of trillions of dollars, even into the hundreds of trillions of dollars out there. And that is all debt that needs to be paid back in US dollars. So if you have these emerging markets like Turkey, Brazil, South Africa, if they take on US dollar debt and the Dixie strengthens, so the US dollar is stronger than a lot of these other emerging market currencies, what these people have to do is their debt becomes harder and harder to pay because their local currency is getting weaker compared to the dollar. So what they have to do is they have to go out there, they have to print their own local currency like the Turkish lira to go into the Forex markets, source US dollars to pay back their US dollar debt. Uh, so essentially, Brent Johnson has the thesis that um, you're going to watch all of these fiat currencies collapse. The US dollar is just going to be the last one to collapse because it's the only currency out there that actually has an external source of demand for it. Yeah, just to jump in there, I'm curious to get your take on what's happening with the ruble. Yesterday, we were talking uh, with two analysts as well, uh, Greg Foss and Lawrence Leppard, about how they saw the markets. And they noted that the ruble has actually been the best performing currency of the last few months. And it is really notable, given that after the invasion of Ukraine, the ruble collapsed. They were blocked out from SWIFT. They weren't allowed into the Western banking system. But now the ruble is doing so well seems to me that that seems to point to a future where currencies are backed by commodities and not so much backed by fiat and treasuries and bonds. Uh, curious to get your take and how Bitcoin fits into that stack as well, Luke. Yeah, so the uh, Putin did three really smart things. Um, I would also like to open and say, oh, look, I'm not a Putin apologist. I'm not a Putin fan. He just made some really great moves geopolitically. Um, he's obviously backed the ruble by gold. Um, he also has been aggressively raising interest rates. I think interest rates in Russia, I think they're 15 or 20% at the moment. And he also did a third thing. He said, hey, guess what? You have to pay for gas in either Bitcoin, uh, rubles, um, or gold. So he set up this bank in Russia and essentially he's forcing these European countries to pay for gas in uh, rubles. So that that naturally creates demand for ruble, just like how the US dollar has demand for it uh, because of all this US dollar debt. So the rubles actually, it's it's stronger than when it was before the war started. It's, it's absolutely wild. I would encourage everyone to pull up a USD ruble chart. It's one of the craziest charts you'll ever see in your life. It's absolute madness. Um, but yes, I think, Will, you're 100% spot on. This is um, the slow kind of breaking down of the petrodollar system where people don't want to hold fiat currency reserves where they can be frozen. And people are going to try and gravitate towards holding currencies that are outside the system and can't be controlled by anyone. So naturally, I think that's going to create massive demand for gold, uh, Bitcoin, and anything outside the system. And anyone who has money stuck in the system, they're sitting on a massive melting ice cube. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why I think China is not as strong as many people think they are. China's sitting on the largest um, pile of foreign FX, uh, FX reserves out of anyone around the world. They're sitting on $3 trillion of melting ice cubes, as Michael Saylor would call them. Um, and now that um, if China is going to wage war or going to be adversarial to the US, well, they've kind of uh, shot themselves in the foot by sitting on $3 trillion of uh, FX reserves that can be frozen at any minute. How does the FX reserves have an impact on China's ability to play a role globally in everything that's occurring right now? And is that how is that different from the situation that Russia is in? 
Yeah, so Russia, um, Russia has pretty much well, they've had their all their foreign reserves frozen, and so the only thing they've got left is gold and uh, natural resources. Um, China doesn't really have the natural resources that Russia has, so it doesn't quite have that bargaining chip of saying, "Hey, guess what? If you want if you want oil and gas, you need to pay in rubles." China doesn't really have that. China is uh, it's speculated that China's sitting on like twenty thousand metric tons of gold, and they've just been quietly accumulating gold for the past decade. Um, but in terms of foreign reserves, they're sitting on three trillion. I think the next highest amount of foreign reserves held by another country is like one trillion. So essentially, if China wants to be mean to the West, the West can just say, hey, guess what? Those three trillion dollars of foreign reserves you hold, we're not going to accept them. or We're not going to um, identify them as being valid or we're even going to freeze them. Um, so China's kind of backed into a corner a little bit uh, geopolitically. Dr. Jeff, going back to you, just want to get your comments on how things have played out in the crypto space just beyond Luna and, and UST. A lot of people saying that, you know, if this was a bull market, that the Luna UST debacle wouldn't have had such a big impact. But also, shouldn't we be considering that the fact that we are in a bear market and all of this Bitcoin was dumped onto the open market, were you surprised by how well Bitcoin performed when you combine those two together, right? You combine the massive downward pressure on the Bitcoin price while simultaneously entering a global, not just the Bitcoin crypto bear market, a global bear market. Yeah, Dennis, that's a good question. So uh, was I surprised? Not really. I've been saying I've been using 25,000 as kind of my base price. I was hoping we would get down to that and below. I mean, honestly, I was hoping for a 20K wick or even even as low as a 15K wick where I could just really back up the truck and buy. And so, by the way, I wanted to um, call out somebody asked me, did I get to fill my stink bids at 25.5? That was just long who asked that a, a little while back. You know what? I slept through it. And for my hedge fund, um, I can't place... Um, uh, limit orders that extend for uh, more than just a few minutes. So I was sleeping and and while while I slept, it went down to 25, three or whatever it did. And then it popped back up. And by the time I woke up, it was back up to 28. So sadly, I missed it. Uh, but I, I still think that the price of Bitcoin is exceedingly cheap at these levels. So anything sub 30K, you can you can uh, rest assured that I am loading up on it. So I've been I've been filling up my bags uh, personally. And then in my hedge fund as well, I've been I've been uh, loading up on my core position, which I never sell. Um, so I'm thankful for these prices. I think with a long-term perspective, these prices are just dirt, dirt cheap. And we'll, you'll be very glad you did if you joined me and you've been purchasing uh, this last week. So um, was it unexpected? I think I think crypto in general, right? It's like beta to Bitcoin. And so if Bitcoin drops, um, the rest of crypto just gets destroyed. That's what that's what's going on right now. This is we had all the marking set up for that with the way that the macro was set up. Um, this is when you get bad news. This is when you get catastrophes. This is when the floor drops out. This is when you lose pegs. This is when I mean, we're even seeing Japan, right? The Japanese yen is literally just dropping, although it looks like it's bottomed. But it basically had a floor dropout moment as well. And that's that's saying something for a G7 country currency to have that happen. So crazy times we're in. Um, like I said, though, I, I think bearishness is basically maxed out at the moment. Uh, I'm slightly optimistic. I'm tilting optimistic uh, in my fund and just kind of what I'm tweeting as well, that there's a chance now we have a bit of a reprieve. 
Um, most uh, bull markets are born uh, in, in deep-seated fear. And when everybody doesn't believe it, they're born in disbelief. Um, I think it's possible now, based on, especially on my TL, the amount of disbelief that there is when I talk about being optimistic now. Um, I, think, I think we're ripe for a bit of a rally. So we'll see. I'm probably wrong. I always like to caveat that. This is not individual investment advice. I am probably wrong. Um, but I personally am, am taking advantage of this and loading up on Bitcoin because I think better days are ahead, at least for the coming weeks and months months before it gets ugly again. Well, I think we're sort of seeing a rally already, right? So Bitcoin mining stocks are up uh, quite a bit on the day. A lot of the bigger names up 20 to 10% on the day. Uh, some equities are also up and then Bitcoin rallied yesterday 10%. Do you have a reason for why we've seen a price bump after like this dumping earlier in the week? Or uh, is that just sort of a blip on the map for what you expect going forward? So that's the thing. So up until this week, I have been saying all of these are just so so we have the best rallies during a bear market. That's what confuses a lot of people. Like when we go down, 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 everything gets deeply oversold. Those are when we have just these like melt your face off rallies in the bear market. And that's because we see short squeezes, things like that happen. So people, you know, everybody's bearish, everybody's bearish, and then it'll rip up five, 10, 15 percent, depending on the asset class. So um, what we need to figure out this time, is this just another one of those, right? Is this just a short-term rally? Is it going to fade again? Most of the smart people I talk to think that that's what this is. It's just going to fade again. Um, so if we basically get to the top of a volatility range, if people are into like Bollinger Bands, those kind of things, usually when they when it gets near the top, people will start adding shorts on again, thinking that we're going to dip again. This is the one time where I say, I think this time might be different. Uh, the first time since January I'm saying this, I think this time it might be different and it might continue on and continue to be bullish for longer than most people expect. Uh, Jay Gold asked me earlier what my targets were for uh, the NASDAQ because I brought that up. I was comparing it to 2008 when after it had dumped in 2007 to early 2008, it actually rallied from March to May, I believe, of 2018, about 25%. And I said, I would be... Um, I would not be surprised to see it rally 20 to 25% from these recent lows. I don't think it gets back to new all-time highs. I think it's possible that Bitcoin gets back to new all-time highs by this summer, although I'm, I wouldn't bet on that, um, but it's possible. Um, and then, and then before things get ugly again. So, so to your to your point, well, I think it's more than just a couple day rally. I think this this rally has legs. I hope it does. I hope people doubt it because the more people who don't believe it, the more likely it is to be right. Uh, that's just how investing works. It likes to do the the opposite of what most people expect. So, um, that's that's what I'm banking on at the moment. We'll see. Dr. Jeff and Luke, it's great to have you on. And for those of you that are listening and you like Dr. Jeff, obviously you do. We always get some really great comments uh, in the chat, people calling you a legend. Uh, Luke, first time on the show. If you want to see Dr. Jeff and Luke come back on the show, you know, make sure you give this channel a thumbs up. It really helps us out a ton immensely. This is week one that we've been doing this and we've been getting a ton of great feedback. In fact, many of the guests who have been coming on the show have absolutely loved this format and have, before I even asked them, offered to become returning guests. And so if you guys want to see Dr. Jeff and Luke come back and chat more about macro, make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell, but also give this episode a thumbs up. Dr. Jeff and Luke, question to both of you. You know, you, you, you chatted a little bit about reverse psychology there. So is it, are we at that point? Do you think that we could take one more big dip words down before we see a reprieve? Um, or is it accurate to say that in a reverse psychology moment like right now, because everyone the sentiment is so bearish um, that maybe this, the sentiment is accurate and we will continue to travel downwards 
or do you think we'll see that kind of brief reprieve and then QE take off again and then uh, and then we go fall down another another leg downwards or or do you see us kind of stabilizing here in this range? Let's go to Luke real quickly for that one. Yeah, so I actually, I think 2020 was a massive inflection point for Bitcoin. Um, I actually don't think you're going to see these prolonged 12 to 18 month bear markets where Bitcoin has an 85% correction anymore. Um, I published an article in Bitcoin Magazine talking about why I think um, obviously all this is happening. I think it's because you're at the very beginning of a technological S-curve in Bitcoin's adoption. And yes, Bitcoin's still correlated to the equity markets in the short term. But I think every single time you see a 50 to 60% correction in Bitcoin's price, we now actually have nation states, public corporations, pension funds, everyone all around the world trying to accumulate a position in Bitcoin. They, some of them don't know what Bitcoin is yet, but they know they need to buy it. And they're listening to people like Michael Saylor say, yeah, guess what? I'm going to buy $5 billion worth of Bitcoin and I'm not selling it for 100 years. I think we're watching an absolute race to accumulate Bitcoin. And I think a prime example of that was uh, Bukele the other day. Naive Bukele came out and said, yeah, guess what? I just bought another, how much was it? Was it like 40 or $50 million of Bitcoin the other day when it dipped below 30K? Can't remember the exact price, but... I just don't think you're going to see these prolonged bear markets like you saw in 2014 and 2018. I don't think people are going to get the chance to buy um, the bottom. I think it's going to be the bear markets are going to be much more like 2020 where you have a sharp wick down and the corrections are very quick. You don't get a chance to buy the bottom again. Um, I think you're going to see much shorter bear markets. I think of them as little mini bear markets. And I think it's all just um, small little volatility um, in a much larger trend of Bitcoin being mass adopted this decade. So again, I think that kind of ties into the worse the macroeconomic system gets, the the bigger the advertisement that is, uh, the bigger the advertisement that is for Bitcoin. Yeah, and I can just piggyback on that because you you know you threw it out there. So so just to our point is, I think. Um, uh, a warning signal is when you see lots of confidence out there about where a price is going to go. If there's sort of uniformity uh, in people's opinions, it just usually does the opposite of that. I've been in the markets for a long time, and so I've seen this happen just over and over and over again. I think from what I saw, there was uniformity that we're in a, a deep bear market getting worse. The price of Bitcoin, when we're, if we just want to focus on that, people talking with a high degree of confidence that it's going to go somewhere to 15 to 25,000 or so. Lots of people placing bids down in those ranges. And you know what? The danger of doing that is it doesn't get filled, right? I mean, it came down, it just it just tickled 25, didn't even, didn't get below 25. So lots of orders didn't get filled. Um, and, and that's why I think we could have a change in sentiment here, Dennis. So, so we may, we may have seen the bottom for now. Um, and I personally, is what I tell people, like, just recognize when an asset is cheap. Bitcoin is the king of assets. When you see that it is cheap on a long-term basis, you don't worry about catching dips. You don't try to be a hero. You just simply start buying. You stack sats hard. If you're into dollar cost averaging, which I hope most people are who are watching this, double your DCA if you can, triple your DCA if you can. Like, instead of doing it weekly, maybe move it to daily, uh, you know, move it to hourly because you just, these moves are crazy when, during these volatile markets. But I'm just telling you that if your time horizon is two, three, five, 10 years or more, and hopefully it is for everybody as long as possible, um, these are fantastic fire sell bargain bin prices. Please don't miss out. That's, that's again, not individual investment advice, but that's what I'm doing with my own money and my own family's money. So, uh, I'm backing it up. <laughs> Dr. Jeff, yeah, I appreciate you with that sound advice. Obviously, people need to be careful in these tumultuous times, making sure that they're leaving cash on hand to pay bills, emergency fund, rent, 
um, rising prices of gas and all that being a hand. But, you know, if you are in that position, I, think, I agree with you. I still think these are incredible, not prices. It's an incredible price to buy Bitcoin at. And looking back five years from now, people will be thankful that they bought in at these prices. You could always go lower. That's true. Um, but right now, you know, we're, what are we? We're more, almost 60% off all-time highs. It's an incredible time to pick up Bitcoin. Dr. Jeff, uh, Luke, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. We went a little, we went a little long with the two of you, so we thank you for taking the time to go with us. I uh, look forward to having you back on in the future. Always appreciate your sound advice and analysis in the space. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. That was an absolute blast. See you, guys. Thanks, Talk guys. To you soon. Well, it's great to have uh, Dr. Jeff Ross, the what do they call him? The, the pleb counselor, I think is, is the this
check out the Bitcoin 2022 conference, check out the deep dive from Bitcoin magazine and follow all of these fantastic people on stage, including Luke. All right, fam. Good night and have a good one. Well, there you have it, guys. Uh, I hope you're feeling bullish. Um, I think a lot of people uh, are really underestimating how Bitcoin's going to get adopted. And that's kind of the premise for, for that article. So uh, a little bit of housekeeping, I suppose. If you like the video, feel free to like uh, the video on YouTube. If you're listening to this video on the Fix the Money, Fix the World YouTube channel, um, feel free to kind of transition over onto the Bitcoin Made Simple uh, YouTube channel and podcasting platform. That's where I'm releasing um, all of my regular content. If you've been wondering why I haven't posted to the uh, to this channel um, for the past four to five months, it's because uh, you missed the memo and you missed the interview I did four or five months ago when I kind of said, hey, look, um, everything's getting posted over to the Bitcoin Made Simple podcasting platform. So head over there and subscribe to that one. Um, leave me a comment um, in the comment section down below if you want me to do um, a, a, a kind of educational video on this topic and I can walk through and maybe do a YouTube video on it, break down all the charts um, that I used in the article. Um, so, you know, I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, massive thank you again uh, for the show sponsors who make these podcasts um, doable. So I'll see you in the next one, guys. Um, have a good day.